Well, hey there, guys. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the channel. Uh, I am, of course, Sean Campia, and this is Open Mic, the show where the mic is open, the floor is yours. What do you guys want to talk about in this great big world of movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff? That is what we are here to address and talk about. If you are watching live right now, uh, there's two different ways that you can get a topic or question on for me to address. The first way is by using our tip link that you can use 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever. Just go to streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. If, however, you are one of the people who's here watching live at this very moment, you can use the Super Chat feature and send it in that way. And uh, good to have you guys here on uh, this uh, auspicious afternoon. We had uh, We had a really neat... John Campia show earlier today was the first time that we tried bringing in a remote guest on the, in the main studio. Now, normally whenever I've had to bring in somebody remote, because what happened was Rob was supposed to be on today, but he got a last minute gig that he had to go do. And so instead of making Chris drive all the way in, Chris was just able to jump in to her uh, sound booth there and uh, talk uh, here. So, and so we did that and we set it up, but we have never done a remote guest from the main studio before. And normally whenever I've had to do a remote guest, I've had to do it from in here because I can just control it from one computer. But we did that earlier today and it seemed to work out pretty well. I mean, it's always better when someone's in studio, there's better interaction, but it's just good to know that in a pinch, we can do it remotely if we need to. Mm. By the way, hello to all the people who are in here live. Dr. Stinky, Ron H., Hank Dunn, Angel, uh, Marcella, Renea, Hero, Queen, uh, everybody, all you guys who are here, good to have you guys here. So listen, before we get into what we are here for, which is your topics and questions that you guys have sent in, I want to take a minute and talk about, or a few minutes here, and talk about this. Reaction videos. It, it seems like... YouTube is like 30% makeup tutorials, 30% play and watch, and like 40% reaction and reaction videos. And I've, I've had people for a very, very long time writing into me and asking me about reaction videos. First of all, I've had a lot of people over the years tell me I should do reaction videos. I have, for those of you who've watched me for any period of time, you know I have zero interest in doing reaction videos. Nothing against reaction videos. It's just that's, you know, back in the AMC days, I tried to do one or two reaction videos and it always felt so fake, right? Because when I was watching a trailer or something, the way I would actually watch a trailer, you'd be seeing me doing this. Well, that's boring to watch, right? But I didn't want to become one of these fake, but that, but that's the thing. That's how most people watch a trailer. They'll have a smile. Maybe they'll go oh, or something like that. Right. That's how people watch trailers. I could not do, I could not bring myself to be one of these fake. Whoa, oh my God. No, no, don't do it. Or, you know, I, I couldn't be like, I couldn't be, I couldn't be one of those. I just, I just couldn't do it. And so even though I've known for a very, very, very long time, I could get, I could get so many clicks if I did reaction videos. I know that. I, I think if you even have a modest following on YouTube, and, and we have at minimum a, a modest following on YouTube, 
I think if you have a modest following on YouTube, you can get a lot of views from reaction videos. But getting views has never been my top priority. You guys know there are a lot of things I could do to get views, and I don't do them. Not because uh, I don't like views, but just because I just want to do the things that I'm actually passionate about and things I actually want to do. So I've had a lot of people for a long time tell me I should do reaction videos to get lots of clicks, but I'm not interested in just getting clicks. And I've also had a lot of people asking me to talk about reaction videos. Because, you know, I did a movie a while ago called uh, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Let me give this a quick plug here. Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Let me give this a, a quick little uh, promo here. here. Here's a here's a little some. This is Movie Trailers, A Love Story. This is the Amazon page where you can go and find my little documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Uh, you can go and, and check it out. Uh, wow, it's got an 8.1 on IMDb. Look at that. I had no idea. And out of 415 votes, it's got four and a half stars. I never knew that either. Anyway, in my little documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and there's Greg right there, I have a section or a chapter in Movie Trailers, A Love Story, specifically about trailer reactions and reaction videos, right? And whenever I do that, I'll often get comments saying, reactors are just all fake. Reactions are the most cringy thing and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of diverse opinions when it comes to reaction. Now, what brings this into real focus for me today is that yesterday I was riding in... Um, uh, oh, thank you, the man with the master plan. I appreciate that. Uh, I was riding in Ray's car yesterday because I had my car in getting some glass replaced. So I'm riding in Ray's car and Ray's got this YouTube video playing and, I'm, and I'll, I'll bring it up here. I won't play the video, but it's about, it's from this very big YouTuber. He's got 4.8 million subscribers. So like 12 times more than I have. Um, and his name's Jack Films, and he was talking about another YouTuber called Sniper Wolf, who, I'll be honest with you, I have never heard of. Uh, now, there's a lot of big popular YouTubers that I've never heard of, but apparently Sniper Wolf has like 30 plus million subscribers. And basically what Sniper Wolf does, if I understand it right, she basically plays TikTok videos and reacts to them. Now, the problem that somebody like Jack has, because I watched Jack's video, is that basically, and, and we'll talk about how this all ties into movie reaction and movie trailer reaction in, in just a second, but I just want to set the groundwork here. The fact that Sniper Wolf is basically, according to him, I don't know Sniper Wolf. I can't, I'm making no personal comments about her myself. Personally, I don't know her. Okay. I'm just saying Jack says, that basically what Sniper Wolf does is just steal other people's content, play it on her channel, and goes, wow. And, and Jack talks about the fact that she never actually says anything. She either just, like if there's a, a TikTok video of a, a car rolling by somebody's front lawn, she just goes, the car is rolling across somebody's front lawn. Wow. And, and basically stuff like this, right? So basically the objection that Jack Films and a bunch of others that I found online are really upset about is that all Sniper Wolf does, according to them, is just steal people's content 
and justifies her theft by calling it reaction, right? And I, I popped on one or two of Sniper Wolf's videos. And again, I don't know the totality of what she does, but everything, the few things that I saw were actually right in line with what Jack Films was saying, that it's basically nothing. She really just does steal other people's content, puts it on her channel and gets views from it. Quite often, Jack points out her editor will crop out the creator's watermark too. Like, so she gets, she makes millions of views and all this kind of stuff by stealing content and just going, wow, and stuff like that. And listen, that's a big thing on YouTube, right? I can't remember the guy's name, but Jack Films also points out this semi-famous music guy who started a reactions channel, and that's all it is. He steals TikTok videos or YouTube short videos and then has himself small in it, just doesn't even say anything, just kind of reacting to what he's seeing. And then Jack Films showed that it's not even a real reaction because he just recorded himself and then copied and pasted that recording of himself going and just slap those on the other videos. Like it's not even him reacting. He recorded his fake reaction and then just copy and pasted his fake reaction on a bunch of videos. Anyway, anyway. So th this whole thing uh, brought up and reminded me a lot of all the comments I got from my movie, movie trailers, a love story and from people writing in all the time who was just saying like reaction content is the laziest, dumbest borderline thievery um, online. And listen, to a degree, I would agree to a degree. I, I want to get into this a little bit deeper here in a second, like just taking a piece of content. And, and unfortunately this is what a lot of trailer reactors are. Just taking a piece of content, then over-exaggerating and faking, ah, oh my goodness. Like, like it's just, it's, it's nonsense. Like it's absolute, complete nonsense. A lot of it. But there's, there's another kind of reaction out there that I think is really good. Take, for example, Greg and John over at Real Rejects, right? What Greg and John over at Real Rejects do is beyond reaction. See, there's reaction, and then there's what I call interaction. What guys like Greg and John at Real Rejects do is they actually interact with the content they're viewing. They don't just go, they'll stop, they'll pause, or afterwards they'll get into a discussion about it. They... They make their video transformative, educational, insightful, contextual. Like they actually take the video that they're reacting to, then they actually interact with it. They discuss it. They break it down. They make it their own piece of content. You know what I mean? And there are others who do stuff like that. For instance, there's a, <clears throat> I don't watch a lot of gaming content, but there's like a gaming YouTuber. And I don't know, even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but as, as, Asmon Gold, I think it is. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Listen, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff Asmon Gold says, to be honest, but I find him to be the right kind of reactor because he takes these videos that other people make. And then what he actually does is interacts 
with the content. Like the this video here is 27 minutes long. More than half of the video is him pausing the video he's watching and then discussing, breaking down, giving another point of view, blah, 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 blah. Then he continues the video. Then he pauses it, gives his own insight and whatever and stuff like that. Then plays it along, then gives his own insight. Like to me, stuff like that is actual reaction. Or to go back to something like Sniper Wolf, there's another YouTuber that Ann and I quite like, and it's called uh, MXR Plays, right? It's this... Asian couple and they do kind of what Sniper Wolf does. They just basically play TikTok videos, Instagram shorts, YouTube shorts, stuff like that. But the thing that is really interesting about it, it's their interaction. They don't just play a video and go, "Woo!" Like they they play a video, then they'll discuss what they feel like the sociological impact of that is maybe an example of stuff that's happened in their own lives. And they actually make it really engaging and entertaining. The channel is about them, not about the videos that they're watching, as opposed to a lot of other reaction content, which is just people like Sniper Wolf, according to guys like Jack Films, who just steals other people's contents and slaps it on their channel to get those people's views. Now, when it comes to movie reactions, and stuff like that. It's it's difficult because, uh, like, unfortunately, a lot of, if not most, of movie reactions, movie trailer reactions, and stuff like that that we see online is just faked. Um, it's it's a performance. They've watched the trailer a few times already. They know the cues that they want to do, where they go. Whoa! And, and do everything they can do to make it as outlandish as possible. But when you know in real life, they don't actually react that way. But I believe in that mess because yes, some reaction content is the laziest, most thievery, bottom of the barrel kind of content that you can produce on YouTube. But it's like anything else, right? There's also stuff that falls under the category of reaction that I think is really quite good and really quite valuable. Like, MXR plays, uh, Asmon Gold, Greg and John over at Real Rejects, like particularly talking about movie reaction stuff, where instead of, like I said, just reaction, it's also interaction. It's about getting in there and kind of breaking it down, giving a different point of view on it and all that kind of stuff. I, You know, so it's like anything else. Is a lot of reaction stuff garbage? Yeah, it, it really is. Do I think it can be the lowest common denominator of YouTube content? Yes, it can be, but it can also be elevated. And I think there's a number of examples of people online who do it right, who do it well. And I think do it in such a way that it actually contributes something, right? You, you go to the, the sniper. And again, I know nothing about Sniper Wolf. I don't want to make it sound like I'm bagging on her because I don't know her content. I'm just going off of a couple of the videos that I saw. Okay, so please keep, take that disclaimer in there. But when you look at content like Sniper's Wolf, Sniper Wolf is not contributing anything. That type of reaction video, and there's many of them out there, they're not contributing anything. They are literally just stealing other people's content and showing it to you. And meanwhile, the people who made the content get no benefit from it. Whereas people like Asmon Gold, like Greg and John, they actually contribute. So if you are watching them, you are getting more than if you just watch the trailer alone. You're getting different insights. You're getting different perspectives. You're getting some humor. You're getting some entertainment. Like they contribute to 
the content experience, right? And that's the right kind of reaction stuff. Now, then you might say, well, John, if there is a right way to do reaction stuff, why don't you do that? Well, it's because I, <laughs> I, I just feel me myself, you know, you look at guys like John and Greg or, or day one and stuff like that, that can do it very naturally. I can't do that naturally. That is not my forte. That is not my wheelhouse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's just kind of my little two cents worth on this whole question about, um, is what's the value of reaction content and, and all that kind of stuff. It's like anything else. It can be really bad and it can be really good depending on who's doing it, how they're doing it. What's their philosophy behind doing it? Are they contributing anything to it or are they just lame? <laughs> I mean, I just, there's, there's just that, or are they just lame? So yeah, anyway, that's just kind of my take on that. I'm sure you guys will have some opinions on that and uh, feel free to fire in thoughts or whatever. And we'll get to that all in just a second. But listen, guys, before we get into your questions and we're about to dive into the questions and hear from you guys, get your topics you guys want us to discuss today. We're going to take just a second here and thank a couple of the sponsors of our video today. The most comfortable shoes I've ever worn, Vessi and the greatest home meal prep folks over at HelloFresh. Guys, we want to take a second. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Vessi. Now, you guys know I'm not exactly the most fashion conscious guy in the world, but I love a great pair of shoes that are comfortable and I can wear almost anywhere. And growing up in Canadian winters when my feet got wet a lot, waterproof would be nice too. Enter Vessi. They make the claim that they're not just fashionable and super comfortable, they're also waterproof. Now, you guys remember, when I got my first pair of Vessis, I put them to the ultimate waterproof test. I actually stuck my foot in my pool, my feet stayed dry, and the shoes stayed dry. Incredible. And they're the most comfortable pair of shoes I ever owned. Well, that made me want another pair. So I got another pair of Vessis that look great and just equal that world-class comfort that I got from that first pair of shoes. They are absolutely my favorite shoes that I've ever owned. Imagine your favorite sneaker style supercharged with waterproof technology and unmatched comfort. No matter how you like to stay active, Vessi has the shoes for you. Trail-ready high tops, effortless slip-ons, and classic court shoes, all with a waterproof twist. They are just as comfortable and stylish as your favorite sneakers, but even more versatile. So if you're like me and you want good-looking shoes that are ready for anything rain or shine, make sure you go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourself a pair today. Go to Vessi.com dot com slash campia and get shoes for your best summer yet. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall routine with HelloFresh. HelloFresh handles all the meal planning and shopping to deliver everything you need to cook up a tasty meal right at home. They do the hard part and you get to take the credit. HelloFresh takes the stress out of mealtime by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door. So this fall, skip that extra trip to the grocery store and have dinner ready in no time with America's number one meal kit. Like we've mentioned before, Anne and I are both working professionals and mealtime is sometimes a bit stressful. That's why we absolutely love HelloFresh. It's nutritious, it's delicious, and we actually have a really good time making dinner together. So guys, go to hellofresh.com slash 
50 Campia and use the code 50 Campia for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Campia and use the code 50Campia. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And thank you to our friends at Vessi and HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, with all that down, let's get into your questions here, shall we? And we are going to start off with Wesley, who writes, I agree on John's take that Friday the 13th has been run into the ground quality-wise, but isn't Blumhouse about to do a Halloween-slash-Exorcist-type reboot requel with it? Uh, Has that been canceled? Uh, Would you have interest if it's still on? I believe it's still on. I believe that is still happening. I... Listen, I love Blumhouse, but not everything they touch turns to gold, right? They've, they've had a number of flops too, but they're also great at taking really small budget films and making something great out of it. Their Invisible Man movie they did was just fantastic. And, and a number of other films they've did has been great. I just don't think you can do it with Friday the 13th. I, I would love to be wrong about that. I mean, Friday the 13th is such a classic, not just in the horror genre, but in movies as a whole. Friday the 13th is just a classic movie title. So I would love to see it be able to be more successful. But I, I like I said, I just have my doubts they're going to be able to do it. Hope I'm wrong. All right. Next up, we got Bruce Wayne writes, Hey, John, the Batman 2 should be released two years from today. Still no script do we know that there's not a script? I don't know that there's not a script. Anyway, no casting. What are you talking about? We already know most of the major casting in the movie. Uh, No news about pre-production. Also, Superman Legacy should be July 2025. Over under 50% that this two movies will be ready in 20 to 24 months. Delay seems likely. I don't think so at all. Um, Look, first of all, let's, let's talk about Batman 2. No script. We don't know that there's no script right? Just because Matt Reeves isn't getting on social media saying, well, it's day 15 of me typey typey working on the script for Batman 2 doesn't mean he's not hard to work on it or doesn't already isn't already on his fourth draft. We just we just don't know. As far as no casting, well, we already know the major casting, right? We know who Selena is. We know who Batman Bruce Wayne is. We know who Alfred is. We know who Commissioner Gordon is. Uh, the only thing we don't have is any of the orbital characters that are going to be in it, like who's going to be the new villain, all that kind of stuff. But we're, we are in no need to get that right now. As of right now, I have no reason to doubt, as of right now, I have no reason to doubt that we're going to get that movie and get it on time. As far as Superman Legacy, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why that can't be ready on time. I mean, the script was already written by the time the writer strike happened, and they weren't going to be in production right now anyway, and they've been able to work on all the pre-production stuff while the strikes are going on. So again, as of right now, I have no reason to doubt that those both of those movies are going to come out on time. But who knows? This is the entertainment industry. Let's see what transpires. All right. Uh, next up, Isaac Beebe writes, it seems like the Taylor Swift and Deadpool 3 rumors have been officially confirmed by Taylor herself because she posted a picture on her Instagram of Ryan, Sean, and Hugh with the caption, if only my coworkers and I liked each other more. Yeah, heard about that. Look, we of course talked about the fact that with Taylor Swift at the game and then in the same box with her were... Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, and Deadpool 3 director Sean Levy, they were all there. On top of the fact that there had already been rumors that she might be in Deadpool 3, that kind of put the cap on it. But yeah, that little comment of hers calling those guys her co-workers, that 
that does kind of seem to wrap it up. I mean, right? I mean, at this point, I'm, I wouldn't call it confirmation, but I would say at this point, I will be very surprised if she's not in there. All right. Uh, Emma, the Mur, the Mur, the Murdoch mystery writes, I've fully given up on Marvel Disney Plus shows and skipped Secret Invasion. Do you think any of the upcoming shows will be important for the next films up to Kang Dynasty? So Loki, What If, Echo, Agatha, Ironheart, Born Again, Zombies, Zombie, and Wonder Woman. Man, no, I don't. First of all, What If isn't important at all. Uh, I don't see Echo being important. Agatha, I don't see that being important. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Some of these I'm very interested in. Like, I'm very interested in Born Again. I'm very interested in Agatha. Um but I don't think any of these are going to be important to the MCU. Um, I, I just don't think they're going to be that way. It would be really unwise of them to make it that way. So no. And by the way, just because they're not important to the wider MCU doesn't mean that, say, uh, Echo can't be a great show. It could be a great show, but not necessarily important for you to watch, for you to continue to watch the movies on the big screen, right? Um so yeah, that's kind of my take on it, Emma. Whether that turns out to be true or not, yeah, you know, we'll find out. All right. Next up, Emma also writes in. Also, I know you're a hockey guy. That's under. That's an understatement, uh, John. Trying to stay optimistic for the Leafs this year, but you know, I have a lot of faith. I think the Leafs are going to have a great season this year. Uh, but are you into baseball? Not even remotely. Am I into baseball? Hoping the Blue Jays can get out of their slump and beat Minnesota to at least make the division series against Houston Astros. Well, I mean, listen. I always keep my eyes on Toronto sports, and I, I'm interested in the Blue Jays being in the playoffs. Yes. But I'll be honest with you, I don't even consider baseball a sport. I, I consider it more of a game than a sport. A game of great skill, but a game not a sport. Um, this is how, how much I don't like baseball. The law firm that I used to work at had a private box at what was called Skydome. It is now called the Rogers Center, I think. Do you guys, any of you guys remember what the name of Skydome is now in Toronto? It used to be called Skydome. They changed the name of it after I moved, uh, after I came to the States, a at any rate. So my law firm had a private box and you could just take the private box tickets and go to the Jays game if you wanted. They, they all, people are saying they call it the Rogers Center. Uh, you just take it and go to the Jays game. So one time I thought, you know what? And I could, you could take up to three friends. So I got a couple of friends together. Let's go to the Jays game. I think they were playing the Kansas city Royals. We went, the box was beautiful. And we stayed for like three and a half innings and just went, God, this is so boring. And again, no offense to people who do like baseball. I'm sure there's stuff that I like that you would find very boring too. Totally fair. But yeah, I, I find baseball to be a real chore to watch. I get more interested at um, at playoff time. I get much more interested in playoff time because of the drama of it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I got to admit, I'm not much of a baseball fan. Although, when the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series with that walk-off home run, I was in Toronto and I was in downtown Toronto with the celebrations, everybody dancing in the street when the Blue Jays won the World Series. That was, uh, that was a good time. That was a really good time. All right, uh, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Buenas tardes, I've watched the Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Bad sequel for the first time, and it's only a bit better than the first. Ooh, I think it's worse than the first. I, I think Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is the single worst Star Wars movie 
ever made. Even worse than The Rise of Skywalker. But at, at any rate, uh, it's only a bit better than the first. Honestly, I don't want to I don't want to, but if the third one is this bad, I might tap out and never touch Star Wars again. Oh, dude, first of all, listen, don't count the prequels as being Star Wars. I mean, it is Star Wars, but pay it no attention. The prequels are garbage. Just don't worry about them. There's a lot better stuff in Star Wars. Now, that being said, I also hate uh, the part three. I, I hate the third one, Revenge of the Sith. But I will say that out of the three prequels, I think the third one is the least offensive. There's some good stuff in there. There is. I still think it's horrible, but there, there's some there's some good stuff in there. I, I think it is safe to say it is the best, although I hate using the word best with anything that has to do with the prequels. But I think the third one is the best of the three. And if you are going to enjoy any of them, I think the third one is probably the one you might enjoy. But again, even if you hate it, don't tap out of Star Wars because the prequel garbage is isolated. It is. Not that everything else in Star Wars is great. It's not. There's some not so good stuff in Star Wars, but there's some fantastic stuff in Star Wars as well. So yeah, go ahead, watch the third. If you're going to like any of the three prequels, that's probably the one you're going to like. But even if you don't, don't tap out on Star Wars as a whole because the prequel garbage is not something you want to evaluate Star Wars by. Just, just throwing that out there. All right, next up, uh, we've got Amin who writes, apparently today is officially the day that the events of Avengers Endgame take place. Oh, really? Which also means Black Widow and Iron Man die this month. You know what? That makes sense because when Endgame starts, it starts with a title screen that says five years later and Endgame, wait a second, Endgame it came out in 2019, did it not? Help me out, guys in the live chat. Avengers Infinity War, I believe, came out in 2018, which would mean Endgame came out in 2019. So theoretically speaking, oh, no, no, no. Five years later, as in five years after the events of Infinity War, which was in 2018. So yes, now in 2023, we would be at where they would be. Oh, yeah, we've caught up. We have caught up with the MCU. There we go. All right, next up. Uh, I mean, also writes one of two. I saw the creator last night and I loved it. Had a lot of Blade Runner and Neil Blomkamp vibes to it. Well, um, uh, that's that's a pretty good mix. At least Neil Blomkamp District 9 vibes. Uh, pacing in the last 20 minutes wasn't great, uh, but thought the rest was really good. The Little Girl is a great actress. Such a visually stunning film. Can't believe they shot this film for just uh, for just 80 million and using a $5,000 Sony camera. It looked beautiful. I know there weren't really big actors, so the wage bill was low, but can Hollywood just learn from this and realize they don't have to spend so much? Listen, I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed the creator. I don't think it's going to be one of the top five best films of the year. I don't think it's an instant all-time sci-fi classic like some other people believe it is, but I thought it was really quite good. And the fact that they made that movie for $80 million to me is astounding, like simply mind boggling. When, when you look at the amount of visual effects and the quality of visual effects in it, it is very reminiscent of district nine district nine, which pulled off world-class visual effects and a lot of them for like, I think $60 million is what they made district nine for might've even been less than that. So when you look at a movie like fast X, and 
the creator looks like it's three times more expensive than FastX, but FastX costs $350 million to make and the creator cost $80 million to make. Yeah, there are some lessons in there that Hollywood, you can make these movies for a lot cheaper. Not all movies. Some movies are just going to carry a big price tag, but for the most part, I think they could easily make movies a lot cheaper. All right. Uh, and that's it from the, uh, tip link. We are now going to go over and take the questions that you guys have been sending in from the live chat. Now, before we do though, we're going to take one last break here and thank another sponsor of this video, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours. Mint mobile guys. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video. Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans for Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before, I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to mint mobile for sponsoring the john campus show youtube channel all right guys with that down let's get over to the rest of your questions the questions that you guys who are watching live have actually been sending in so we're going to get things started off here with adam henson who writes after watching the live action one piece, we decided to check out the anime. Both agreed that the budget uh, for following seasons is going to have to be huge, especially if they want to do, if they want to adapt gear five Luffy. Don't know. Don't care. <laughs> I don't, I don't watch. Uh, and I have no intention of watching one piece. That's not me. Bad mouthing one piece. I haven't watched it to bad mouth it. So no shade on one piece or anybody who likes it whatsoever. It's just clearly not for me. I don't watch it, so I can't give any commentary on it myself. However, your comment might be relevant to other people watching, and that's great, but I have nothing to offer that, unfortunately. All right. Aiden Foley writes, uh, toxic hate videos is the laziest YouTube comment uh, content. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, but again, listen, we've, we've talked about this a lot on the channel, making hate content gets clicks. That's, it's just part of the reality. And that's why like master Yoda said, like the dark side is not stronger, but it's easier. It's quicker. You don't actually have to be very talented to make hate content and get clicks. So there are a lot of people who fall into just doing hate content. I mean, I mean, again, that's why when people got upset at me because I stopped reviewing Ahsoka, right? But you have to understand my personal philosophy. I already kind of made it clear that I wasn't enjoying the show with the exception of episode four. I thought episode four was fantastic, but I had already made it clear that I wasn't really enjoying the show. And then I need to stay consistent with my own principles and my own philosophy is 
why then would I just keep reviewing it every week just to shit on it more and more? Like everybody already knows I don't like it. That's all I have to do. I don't need to make another video every single week bagging on it and crapping all over it. People know I didn't like it. And for those people that were enjoying it, I just want to let them enjoy it in peace. Like we already know Campia doesn't like it. He doesn't have to yell at us every single week about how much Ahsoka sucks. Nah, I already made my point. I said, I don't think it's working. So I just stopped thinking. And I got a lot of people very mad at me. Like I care, but no, I got a lot of people very, very mad at me that I stopped reviewing Ahsoka. It's like, look, I just don't believe in putting out negative content just for the sake of putting out negative content. I don't believe in hiding my opinion. I already let people know I didn't like it. I already did that. It was done. There was no need for me to put out video after video after video about why I think this sucks. People know I thought that. And yet there are others who are enjoying it. So just let them enjoy it. <laughs> What's What would have been the point? Now, today I did, now that the series is over, or at least the season was over, I did do one video today just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on the whole season. But now it's done. I don't have to make five more videos about it. But yeah, it is a very tempting, seductive uh, thing to just make hate content. And it is lazy. Um, it's, it's lazy and it's a shortcut, but it's, but you understand the temptation because people are more inclined to click on negative stuff than they are to click on positive stuff. Listen, I'll let you in on something. You know, Jonathan and I and Ray, we will go over all of our analytics and we'll look at, you know, what videos performed and what videos didn't and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's really disheartening sometimes because every once in a while I do feel negative about a topic and I'll, and I'll make a video that is negative about something. Cause that's how I feel about it. I won't make eight videos about it, but I'll make one. And you know, I've complained to Jonathan that sometimes like those negative ones will get a lot more attention, a lot more views than some of the more positive ones that I'm way more proud of, but it's, it's a part of the reality of the business. It, it's part of the reality of the business. Doesn't mean I have to play the game, but I get it. It's part of the, it's part of it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, JW writes, uh, have you watched Flora and Son on Apple TV? I have not. I've heard it's pretty good, though. I've got about three things on Apple TV Plus that I need to get caught up on. But no, I've not watched that one. But I've, I've heard good things about it, JW. Thanks for make, putting that in there. All right. Uh, Marcus Penner writes, Hey, John, I know you didn't uh, like the show, but it debuted uh, at 14 million views. Critics really liked it, and so do audiences. Is Ahsoka a big hit, uh, a big Lucasfilm win? No. Here's the reality it didn't get as many views as The Book of Boba Fett did. Um, it certainly didn't attract any new Star Wars fans because it was just a memberberry show. Uh, but was it a flop? Was it a failure? Absolutely not. 100% not. But it, it certainly didn't get Obi Wan numbers. Uh, according to the article in Variety, it didn't get Book of Boba Fett numbers either. Um, so I I don't know that they can call it a big hit. The other big thing, to, too, about it is that whereas The Mandalorian brought in a whole new wave of, of viewers, right? There are people like once Baby Yoda showed up, once Baby Yoda showed up in Mandalorian, it brought in a whole new swash of 
people who are never, never have been Star Wars fans, maybe never watched Star Wars, but the minute Baby Yoda showed up and the Mandalorian got going, it actually brought in a new crop of viewers that maybe weren't there and weren't Star Wars fans before. Book of Boba Fett didn't do that. And I don't believe at all that Ahsoka did that either. So was it a flop? Was it a failure? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Was it a big hit? I wouldn't say that either. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, but you know, let's, let's give it a couple of months, see how the overall analytics shake out and it may go down a little bit, may go up. I mean, who knows, but let's, let's wait and see. All right. Next thing. Uh, we've got, uh, Bobby Jackson writes one of two. I don't know if reaction views are lazy, uh, but I love watching them. I keep YouTube premium over most services I pay because of how many reaction videos I watch. I love experiencing something I've seen through fresh eyes. It's akin to taking a friend to the movies to see, to see their response to something you've seen. Keep doing what you do, reactors. And hey, listen, again, there's no doubt that, like I said, I know I could get a ton of views if I made reaction videos. Uh, there's a reason why so many people do reaction videos. One, and I think most reactors will agree with this, doing reaction videos are very easy. It's very easy to make a reaction video. You don't actually have to create anything. Um, and, and and like I said, I think most reacting video creators would agree to that. Like, yeah, it's, it's easy to do. It doesn't mean you can do it well, but they're easy to do. It's like poker, right? Poker is very easy to play. It's difficult to play well, but it's easy to play. Anybody can pick it up and anybody can play. I'm a big poker guy. Um, but I mean, a lot of people like to watch reactions. And if you can find a reactor that you think works for you, that's great. Again, that, like I said at the beginning, I'm not trying to poo-poo on the, the basis of reaction videos in and of themselves because I think reaction videos are like anything else. There are really bad ones and then there are ones who do it in a way that's really good. And I think it's just about finding the ones that do it well. Or even more importantly than that, the ones that just seem to vibe with you. You know, if something resonates with you, man, that's the thing. It's it's all subjective. If something resonates with you, that's the important thing. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, that was Bobby. Oop, wrong, wrong page. Here we go. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Damaris Love writes. With the new Percy Jackson and the Olympians uh, show arriving this December and being announced that content not in the books being added for expansion, what are the chances they do that with Harry Potter? I think very low. Actually, I think it's the opposite they said they're going to do with the new Harry Potter series they're developing for Max, which is the movies, the books are big and they just kept, kept getting bigger as they went on. The movies actually leave out a lot of stuff that's in the books. And what they've said is that the series, whenever they get around to doing it, is actually going to include a lot of stuff from the books that was never included in the movies. So it sounds like they don't have to create new stuff that wasn't in the books. They actually have a lot that's in the books that never got used in the first place. So yeah, it sounds like they're going to do uh, a little bit of an opposite thing on that. And, and I think it's fascinating. Now, I don't know if it's going to turn out well or not. But I think the idea of taking those stories and fleshing them out into a season and being able to include all the stuff that was in the books, 
that's enough to make me, as somebody who appreciated the Harry Potter movies, that's enough to make me interested to see what they might do with the series. Again, might be good, might be bad, but I think it's an interesting approach nonetheless. We'll see if it works out. All right. Thanks for that, man. Uh, next up, we got Optimus Prime Rib, who writes, While diehards uh, don't like member berries, it seems like the general public does. My circle didn't love Andor, but love the other shows for the familiarity. And listen, there's a reason why people and content creators and, and movie makers, TV show makers, use member berries. Because listen, if you really like, I'm trying to think of uh, an example Look, okay, for whatever reason, let's say you really like Anakin. You loved Clone Wars, right? You loved Clone Wars. And there's a lot of Star Wars fans who really love Clone Wars. I'm not one of them, but there's a lot of them that do. Then having a character like that era's Anakin pop up is going to make people go, Squee! right? I mean, that that happens. That that happened. That's happened with all of us. A character, like, let's, I, even I, somebody who I didn't like Rebels, but I or didn't like Clone Wars, but I loved Rebels. Like, even I did that little squee moment when, um, you know, when Sabine and Ezra reunite and, and they see each other for the first time. I was like, Wee! you know, I was very happy that, that that did something it made my heart smile. Right. That's a manipulative but legitimate tool that's in the the tool belt of filmmakers and whatever. The thing where I get frustrated with was, again, and I'm only speaking for myself and I'm not trying to trash on anybody for, for liking Ahsoka, not at all. I'm just saying from my perspective and only my perspective, the show had no substance by itself. It was nothing but those, look everybody, it's Anakin. Yeah, but why is Anakin here? Who cares? It's Anakin. Look, everybody, it's it's whatever. Okay, but what is that? How is that impacting the narrative? It's not, but who cares? Look, it's them. I know, I see, I need more than that. Like, like anybody else, I will totally do that. Squee! When a fun little member berry thing comes up in a movie, absolutely. But I need more than that to appreciate a movie. You know, I... I don't know that that's just me, but Hey, listen, it's different strokes for different folks. Different things are important to us on different levels. And I got no problems with somebody who watched Ahsoka loved the clone wars cartoon and got really excited and happy to see, you know, the, the carryover stuff in it. If that rocks your boat. Awesome. I celebrate that. It doesn't for me, but it can for you. And, and that's, that's the important thing about entertainment. I think. All right. Next up. Um, Alex Mata writes, Five Nights at Freddy's is tracking for 12 million Thursday preview between 30 and 45 million opening weekend. I did not hear that. And a total domestic run of 60 to 90 million. Good numbers for a streaming movie. Listen, if it, if it look, if, if Five Nights at Freddy's can hit 30 to 45 million on opening weekend for a movie like Five Nights at Freddy's, that's a fairly low budget film. I think they need to be popping bottles. I think they seriously need to pop bottles and celebrate hard if it can hit that those numbers. Because I'd, I'd be shocked if it hits those numbers. But if it does, I think they got to consider that a fantastic result. Now we just got to see if the movie's any good. I have my doubts, but I'm, I'm hoping for the best. All right. Thanks for that, Alex. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, I look for reaction content because I want to see what others think. Similar to a review. Uh, also, don't you feed off reactions? 
Don't you feed off reactions of others in a theater? It's sort of the same thing when you're alone in my eyes. I, I don't agree. I mean, if that's the way it is for you, totally respect that. I don't agree that it's the same thing. Like it's being in a football stadium um, when a game is going on and a somebody busts out for a big run and the whole crowd gets on their feet. That is not the same thing as sitting at home and watching a TV of people standing on their feet and cheering. Being in a movie theater when Cap in his earpiece hears on your left and the portals start to open in Endgame and being in that movie theater. And I was in a lot of movie theaters when that moment happened and it was always the same thing. The place went nuts. Being in there and being a part of it is not the same thing as popping on a YouTube video and and watching somebody else have a reaction. It's totally different things, right? To me, totally different. If it's not for you, cool. But for me, it's a totally different thing. Um, Again, a part of the problem though is, it's when you get guys who do it right, like Real Rejects, who don't just react, they interact, they contribute, they break it down, they analyze, they give different perspectives, they talk about certain contexts. When they add to it, that makes that whole thing to me very valuable. When it's just somebody going, because you know they've done it 40 times in the last three weeks. Ooh, ah, wow. Like, I don't personally get anything out of that. Myself personally. It's when they interact with the content, tell me about their experience, give me a different way of looking at what I'm watching, something like the Real Rejects do, and and others do as well. That's when I find it valuable, but yeah, it's not the same thing as watching on a TV, seeing a football fan cheering, as being at a football game, as a part of that crowd going crazy. It's To me, it's just different things. But again, I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just speaking for myself. So that's that. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Sam. Next up, uh, we got Andy, who says two of two, but where's one of two? There's one of two. Um, Love, do you... Oh, yeah. Love, do you want to taste it? But guns should change the song for Peacemaker season two. I can imagine the intro eagerly sits on Peacemaker's shoulders as Cena looks into the distance at the rising sun. And in the background, you hear, never, never made it as a wise man. I couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. Yes, that's that's right. Because John Cena, Peacemaker, would be a big fan of Canadian rock legends. Uh, that's would be, I see, I don't know. That's a big question that's been going around when Peacemaker season two does come out, whenever it comes out, and I don't think it's coming out till like 2025, 2026, but whenever it does, I totally get changing the song for the opening. I do. I totally get it, but I don't want him to, I want him to keep that same song. And listen, when you, when you go back and you look at TV shows, don't change their intro song season to season. I mean, some do, but the vast majority of TV shows that have intro music, like imagine being a kid and watching a team. I mean, a team might be before. I mean, I was a young, young kid when that came out. So it was probably before a lot of your time, but I'm just going to use that as the example. A team had this opening music that was incredible. Right? You don't want to tune in on season four and then have suddenly the opening music being 
bum, 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 or whatever. I'm just making up notes now. No, you want to hear that song, that opening song that you have come to identify the, uh, the show with, right? A lot of classics, uh, like Cheers, yeah, making your way in the world today takes everything you got, right? Who wants to tune into Cheer season five and all of a sudden they're singing different lyrics? Do you want to chase the That is, to me, Peacemaker. Keep the same song. I don't know. We'll see. That That's just that's just my thing. All right. Uh, next up. Thanks for that, Andy. Next up, we got uh, Mr. Graham 91 who says, will ad supported tiers be like the old TV model where an ad comes up every 10 to 15 minutes? Probably. Or would two to four minutes of ads before each episode be feasible? No. See, here's the problem. I love the idea. Like if I'm on an ad supported tier, I love the idea of just get the four minutes of, of commercials right out of the way, right off the top. Just start it with four minutes of commercials, then get into the show. Here's the problem advertisers know that you're not going to watch advertisers. Now there will still be commercials at the beginning of a show and probably at the end, but the real valuable advertising space is in the middle of the show. Cause advertisers know that if they put all the commercials and just play them right first at the beginning of a show, like when you go to, I don't know, stranger things, season five and hit plan episode one, and they just play like four minutes of commercials and then start the show. You and I may prefer that, but the advertisers know that makes it useless because they know you're going to hit play and then walk away for four or five minutes and then come back. It's more valuable to advertisers to have it in the middle somewhere. Um, as a matter of fact, even with uh, YouTube, you know, we have sponsors, but it's kind of specified that we've got to place the our sponsor spots somewhere in the video. It can't just be tagged on at the end, can't just be tagged on at the beginning. It's got to be worked in there somewhere. So while I think viewers like you and me, Mr. Graham, would prefer that, it's not going to be that way because then advertisers won't find any value in that and they won't pay for the advertising. So there's that. All right. Good question, though, man. All right, next up, uh, ask poor Loki, uh, run Hope I, I butchered that, uh, writes with all the MCU projects being put on hold indefinitely. Uh, do you think Marvel is trying to course correct? If so, do you think they'll manage that? Oh, they're absolutely trying to course correct. The question is what kind of course correction are they doing? Like, look, Bob Iger already said we've produced too much content. We're watering the MCU product down. We've got to cut back on that. And so that in and of itself is a course correction. But now there's another type of course correction, which is a narrative course correction. Do I think the MCU and Marvel right now and Kevin Feige are trying to do a narrative course correction? I don't think so. I think the overall story of this multiverse saga, which was always a bad idea, by the way, <clears throat> Even brilliant geniuses like Kevin Feige can have a bad idea now and again. Um, I don't think they are course correcting their story. I think they're course correcting how much content goes out, how often they put out content. I think they are trying to course correct that, but they're not, I don't believe they're trying to course correct their narrative. I think they should, but I don't think that they are. All right. <clears throat> Good question, man. Next up. We got Christopher Brickner who writes a problem for the acolyte is that it's set during the high Republic since announced the hype for this era has died as book one sold 170,000 copies book two 70,000 and two years later, the latest book sold under hundred uh, under 14,000 irrelevant. Nobody cares. 
Nobody cares. Because Star Wars and Disney Plus are not interested in getting the 170,000 people who read the book. I mean, obviously, they like to have that 170,000, but that's really irrelevant. What they want is 15 million people who didn't read the books and don't care about the books. Look, at the end of the day, Acolyte is going to work or fail, not based on the era it's set in, but rather it's going to succeed or fail based on, is it good? I mean, that that's at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Is it good? Do you have great characters? Is your story compelling and makes us emotionally invest in it? Do you thrill us? They, they say, now they can say a lot, but they're saying that the action that they have in this series is, I think one of their producers says, it's like the Darth Maul fight on steroids. They, they say the action in it is phenomenal. Whether that's true or not, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, at the end of the day, nobody cares. Nobody cares about whether it's based on this era or that era. The average viewer won't care. What they care is, is it good? You know, a lot of people turning into House of the Dragon didn't care that it was set 100 years before the events of Game of Thrones. What people tuning into that show cared about is, is it a good show? And House of the Dragon is a fucking great show. Um, and that'll be the same thing with this. So I really don't think that the era that it's set in has anything to do with anything, to be honest with you. As long as they're not telling, like you said, people lost interest in the books. I read book one, was not interested in any of the rest of them either, right? But they're not making the book one story. They're telling a completely different story with completely different characters that just so happens to be in that or at least around that era. Otherwise, really makes no difference whatsoever to most people. Like it's because, like I said, even the biggest book, 170,000 people read it. That's nothing in the scheme of them wanting to get 12, 15, 17, 20 million viewers. That 170,000 is really a, a small drip in the bucket, to be honest. All right. Next up, we got LV Rartoff who writes, John, by the way, my name is not J-O-N, it's J-O-H-N, just so you know. Or my proper name is Giovanni, which you can write that out as well. Uh, do you think Feige could have uh, convinced Gunn to direct an Avengers film? Absolutely. Uh, had, of course, Gunn stayed at Marvel? Curious. Yep. Listen, you got to remember that before the big blow up and Alan Horn, greatest movie executive of all time, uh, fired James Gunn prematurely, by the way, um... Before that, you got to remember, Kevin Feige basically announced, uh, anointed James Gunn as his right-hand man. He actually put him in charge of overseeing the development of the galactic aspect of the MCU. It wasn't just Guardians of the Galaxy. And then, you know, 12-year-old tweets came up and, and he got fired from Disney. Disney, and they shot themselves in the foot because now James Gunn is over at DC. Uh, but yes, I 100% believe that... Um, James Gunn would have been ultimately the director of upcoming Avengers movies. I, I 100% believe that, 100%. All right, next up, uh, King Daddy Goat writes, I know it's for QBs, but McCaffrey deserves MVP. As of right now, hell yes. Hell yes, he does. I mean, Josh Allen is making a really strong case for MVP as well. Josh Allen is making a real strong case for MVP. But listen, I said this before, when the San Francisco 49ers got Christian McCaffrey, I stood up and seriously, the first words out of my mouth were, that's unfair. 
That's unfair. Christian McCaffrey is a living cheat code. I, I believe overall he is the best player in the NFL. Um, and uh, and I'm not even a big San Francisco 49ers fan, but I think he is the most overall, he's the most dangerous guy in the NFL. I believe that over Josh Allen. I believe that over Patrick Mahomes. I believe that over any quarterback in the league. I think he is the single best player in the NFL, but uh, you know, that's just me. All right. Next up, Isaac Cushman writes, uh, where do you stand on the international issue of jugged versus bagged milk? Bring on the filthy. I am a bagged milk guy. You know, one of the big things I had to adjust to when I came to the United States from Canada was I kept going, gotta understand, I've never had anything but bagged milk. It's far more uh, clean. It's far more sanitary. It's far more convenient. And I remember going into, I remember moved into my apartment in Hollywood and then walk into the store and looking for bags of milk and not finding any bags of milk. I'm like, what kind of backward barbaric society am I in now? Uh, but yes, I am 100% uh, on the bagged milk side of that debate. I am clearly on that. All right. Next up, Devin Lydia writes, uh, RTU streams. I don't know what RTU means. Uh, RTU streams covered the XQC controversy where he's alleged. I've heard of XQC. I don't know what RTU is where he's alleged of stealing content. By the way, you might end up on Rich's soundboard with your sounds. I have no idea who we're talking about. I, by the I know who XQC is. I know he's a, he's a gaming streamer. I, I've never watched any of their content, but I understand they're a popular gaming streamer. I guess RTU is, and I don't know who Rich is, but uh, I will, I will, I would be flattered <laughs> either way, Devin. All right. Next up, Devin also writes, he does reacts all the time to DSP dark side Phil. Again, I have no idea who that is either. <laughs> I don't, I don't keep up to date with childish online drama. I I, I really don't. So I don't know if that's what that is. All right. Sam Fisher writes. Also, I'm really bad at catching themes and character nuance and other stuff. So watching people react and then break that down helps me again. That's what I want. The point I was kind of trying to make, like the people who just go woo, woo, like useless, nothing, but you get people who do the, the, like I said, the interacting, who will give context, who will give perspective and give all that kind of stuff actually contribute to the content and its depth and its meaning that I appreciate a lot. And I think that can be very valuable to people. I really do. All right. Next up, we've got uh, disgraceful entertainment rights. I remember your review of the Batman versus Superman trailer. That was hilarious and could count uh, and could count as a reaction video. <laughs> I really, really did like the Batman versus Superman trailer, man. I just about lost my shit watching that. And I, I guess it would probably come across as a reaction video in some way, but it was 100% legit. Like I, I, I still think that that first comic con release Batman versus Superman trailer. I, I think there's a legitimate argument that it might be the greatest trailer of all time. Not the most important trailer of all time. The most important trailer of all time. If you watch my movie, movie trailers, a love story uh, is the first star Wars, the Phantom Menace trailer. That's single-handedly the most important trailer ever made. And we talk about why in the movie, but 
Yeah, I, I think there's an argument to be made that that first Batman vs. Superman trailer is like the best trailer ever made. I freaking loved that trailer. All right, uh, next up. We got James Wheeler sends in a $20 super chat. James, thank you so much for supporting us on that level, man. I appreciate that a lot. And James writes, hello, John. Uh, talking about reaction videos uh, is a vocal coach. Talking about reaction videos is a vocal coach reacting to Leah Salonga singing on my own. Her name is Tara uh, Simon and she pauses the video and will speak about the technique and delivery. Yeah. I've seen a lot of videos like that. So for instance, I don't watch America's got talent, but I've been kind of really hooked on watching some segments on YouTube and you guys will know there's been this girl called, uh, uh, Putri Ariana, I think is her name. This blind girl from Indonesia, I think she's like 18, 17 years old, blind girl from Indonesia. And I honestly think she might be one of the top five singers I've ever heard in my life, like ever heard in my life. And like my all time favorite band is you too. And one of her semifinal things at America's Got Talent was she did her own, just her voice and her piano version of, um, not with or without you. It was still haven't found what I'm looking for. She did her own kind of version of still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's one of the single greatest vocal performances I've ever heard. Like it's just, it's moving and it's incredible. And because I watched that video, my YouTube recommendation page suddenly got filled with a bunch of vocal coaches reacting to Putri Ariana's uh, rendition of still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's a great example of good reaction. It's them watching it, breaking it down, giving perspective, giving some background information, describing to the audience why what she just did with her voice is so phenomenally difficult. What she just did, blah, blah, blah. Again, it's an example of people contributing to the content rather than just going there Wow, she sings so pretty. Like, you know what I mean? So there's good examples of that stuff. Thanks for that, James. Appreciate it. And thank you again for supporting us on that level, man. All right. KM Reviews writes, I liked watching reactions to Arcane Episode 3. By the way, Arcane is my all-time favorite animated series. I know there's only been one season, but it's my number one all-time favorite animated series. I love that show. I liked watching reactions to Arcane Episode 3 just to see someone else experience it like I did. Stuff like that just to experience it with them. So here's an example. One of my favorite videos to watch on YouTube is this video of this montage of people reacting to game of thrones the wed wedding the the red wedding episode right one of the most shocking episodes of television in history but here's the thing the video that i watched that the montage of these reactions is not by reactor videos it's literally people filming their friends what like so you knew there was a bunch of people who have read the books and they knew what was coming up and they would watch. That's the thing about Game of Thrones is people had watch parties every week, right? So they would bust out their phone and their camera and record their friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, parents, whatever, watching the Red Wedding and watching their reaction to it because they knew what was coming, right? And there's a YouTube video out there that's a big collage of all those types of reactions. See, that's cool because that's pure. That's real. That's authentic. That is the purest form of a reaction video. It's not somebody who went, okay, 
Okay, am I look good? Okay, turn on the camera, get my lights right. Okay, okay, now let's do the woo. Let's just get ready to do that. No, 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 no. It's like literally people who didn't even realize they were being filmed watching something and actually capturing in that raw moment a real authentic reaction. I love that video because the red wedding reaction stuff is like the one of the craziest things ever in television history. And I do get a kick out of seeing stuff like that. All right. Uh, next up, we got John Redcorn who writes, oh, and by the way, give me once. I, I forgot. I need to turn off the super chats. Give me give me a second here. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, I got I got to I forgot to because I'm almost out of time here. Okay. And yes, done. Okay. Now I can keep on going. Uh, John Redcorn uh, writes, uh, do you see Marvel TV try? Let me try this again. Do you see Marvel try to adapt the Phoenix saga again? And it is, a, is it a good idea? Fox has done it twice and both times it failed. Um, nah, I, no, let me rephrase that. Can I see the MCU trying to do the Phoenix saga eventually? Yes. But I don't see them doing it anytime soon. I think they'll really want to establish their mutant um, chapter of the MCU. I think they'll really want to get a bunch of the characters established. I think they have a lot of stories they want to tell. And then maybe four, five, six years down the line, maybe taking a shot at the Phoenix saga. Again, the problem isn't the Phoenix saga. The problem was they, they didn't make them well, right? It's like the problem isn't the Fantastic Four. The problem is that they made bad Fantastic Four movies. I still don't think the new Fantastic Four is going to be a billion dollar film or anything, but the problem with Fantastic Four has never just been the Fantastic Four. It's just that they made bad movies. So yeah, I think if Marvel can properly establish and make some really great kick-ass X-Men featured movies and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, not in the not too distant future, four, five, six years from now, I could see them taking a swing at the Phoenix Saga bat. Absolutely. And I don't think the fact that other movies made in a by a different studio is going to deter the audience from maybe checking it out. If they make the X-Men in the MCU really great, I think they'll attract an audience. All right. Pardon me. Next up, we got Aiden Foley who says, uh, didn't you say that talking about other YouTubers is the laziest form of YouTube content? Yeah, that too. You always make that point and it's absolutely correct. Yeah. I, listen, it's, it goes along. I, the thing I despise most Here's what I despise most. I despise people with the maturity of four-year-olds bringing their beefs to YouTube. Like, I'm sorry, aren't you fucking grown-ups? Like, maybe I'm old-fashioned. And maybe it's just the Canadian thing. But how I was raised and how I grew up is that if you have a problem with somebody... You work it out with that person. Call me crazy. That, that, this whole thing of, 
everybody, hey, everybody, getting up on your little sofa. Everybody, listen, everybody, listen. I want to tell you about how this person was mean to me. Everybody, listen. Now, we're, we're that there's different degrees of that, right? Like, there's some truly, truly, like, very, very serious, serious things that there there may be a time and a place where that is appropriate. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Let me be very clear. Yes. But 99% of the drivel, I it's just people acting like fucking children. I don't like this person. I'm going to talk about this person. This person's... It's like, you know what? If you got a problem with somebody, be a, if you're a guy, be a fucking man. And there's not a lot of those on YouTube. But be a fucking man, pick up the phone, open up Gmail, whatever, and communicate with that person. And if you don't have the balls to do that, then shut up. If you don't have the balls to communicate with a person you're having an issue with directly, then just shut up. Um, like... It's, it's pathetic. Like really, it just, it's pathetic. So I, like, I often see just like somebody who's like, like just wrote in recently, XT1 does, talks a lot about WM5. It's like, I, I don't know about any of this stuff because I don't pay attention. Like, you know, who's a really good YouTuber um, is, um, why did I just suddenly, uh, Philip DeFranco. I, I really like Philip DeFranco. I do. Um, I watch, not every Philip DeFranco video, but I, I watch a bunch of Philip DeFranco videos. I think he's got a great communication style. Um, his editing is crisp and quick. Uh, I, I like Philip DeFranco. That being said, the ones I often skip, like the videos, when Philip DeFranco's videos pop up in my timeline, and there are a lot of these, the ones that I choose to skip when it's like drama between this TikToker and this TikToker, I'm like, what am I fucking five years old? Am I a fucking child? Why should that, why should I be interested in that? And then, and unfortunately, Philip, and I, again, I really like Philip Franco. I think he's a great YouTuber, but the stuff of his that I will um, bypass is the stuff that gets into like X online personality beefing with this online personality. It's like, First of all, they're children for beefing with each other online and we're children for going, Ooh, what's the, what's, what's the word? The T what's the T like, it's like, eh. and it, it's just basically for attention. It's just basically for attention. And that's why, well, I mean, two things, first of all, that's why you will never hear me talk about other YouTubers. Now I will talk about issues involving YouTubing, but I will never talk about other YouTubers. Like even earlier in today's video, I brought up, I can't even remember her name now. I brought up Sniper Wolf, but how many times did I like give the caveat? Guys, I don't know Sniper Wolf. I don't know her content. I'm not talking about her. I'm just talking about this issue brought up by this Jack Films guy and how this relates to the overall issue of reality. Like every time I brought up Sniper Wolf, I was like tripping over myself to give these big asterisks. Guys, remember, I don't know her. I have nothing. I got nothing bad to say about her. I'm just saying, well, this is what Jack's video is about so we can talk about the issue, right? Like I, and I'm sure sometimes when I trip over myself like that, it becomes annoying to people. Oh, well, I mean, it is what it is. But like, yeah, I just... And there have been once or twice 
in my career, it's been at least five years, but there have been once or twice in my career where I've broken that rule of mine, like not to talk about somebody on YouTube, like another YouTuber. Don't talk directly about another YouTuber, uh, YouTuber on YouTube. There've been once or twice in my career where I've made that mistake, where I've done that. And it's like, I am not going to do that again. Like, I'm not going to do that again. Cause I, I've said this before. It's like my, my dad used to say this great saying my dad, and other people have said it too. It's not like my dad created it, but my dad, I remember saying this saying is like, and he obviously wasn't talking about the online world, but my dad once said about like, like airing grievances publicly with people. My dad would say, the only thing that is guaranteed to happen in a shit slinging contest is everyone smells like shit. The only thing that is guaranteed to happen when you get into a shit slinging contest is everyone smells like shit. And I've always believed that I, I, I've always believed that there was once a guy, um, who for a really stupid reason decided to take a shot at me, um, online. And I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but you know, I, I reached out to this person and I said, Hey, um, I think you completely misunderstood and misrepresented what it was I was saying, but listen, you've got my phone number. You've got my email. If you think there's an issue, just reach out to me. Let's, let's talk <laughs> like instead of doing this anyway. Um, but I've had people and I'll move off this. I know I've spent a lot of time on this, but it's a, I think it's a big issue to me about the online world and stuff like that. And as, as I'm getting ready to retire in like in a year and a half, two years, um, I'm, I've become more cognizant about the kind of YouTube space I want to leave behind when I move on. I'm no longer on it. Um, whenever people ask me for advice and I get a lot of people writing me and I respond to as many as I can who ask me for advice about this and advice about that. You know, and, and it, quite often it's come up like some, like somebody's talking about me, what should I do? And I always say this, and if, if you're a YouTuber or a blogger or a podcaster, I would say this. If for some reason, somebody else thinks you are so important that they need to talk about you, that does not mean you need to think they're important enough that you should talk about them. That's the advice I give everybody when, when like when people write in and say, oh, yeah, I'm YouTube, but this person's you know, like is talking crap about me. It's says like, OK, listen, just because they think you're so important that they need to talk about you does not mean that you need to think they're important enough that you need to talk about them. So uh, there's that. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on, shall we? Um, we only got a few left here. Uh, Nexus Fuel writes. Hey, John, for the exorcist maze at Hollywood, I'm assuming you mean this is um, uh, Halloween Horror Nights. That's at Universal Studios. Uh, for the exorcist maze at Halloween Horror Nights, when you go chew mint gum, the smell uh, of vomit and feces in there is terrible. Really? Ann and I love going to the Universal Halloween Horror Nights every year. Um, you guys remember Dorena from back in the uh, Collider days? Anyway, Dorena is the one who I think talked Ann and I into going to Halloween. I think the first top, couple of times we went, we went with her, um, talked us into going, and we just fell in love with it. We had a great time. They always have all these different mazes, but I will keep that in mind. Nexus, I will bring something to uh, maybe a nose plug or something. All right, Nexus also writes, have you checked out the Chucky series on sci-fi? No, no desire. Uh, new season drops tonight and it's actually pretty enjoyable. Brad slash Fiona, uh, Dorif absolutely kill it. 
No doubt. And listen, I, I love that there are people who are enjoying the show and that it's lasted several seasons. I love hearing about artistic endeavors that succeed and are able to last and have legs. But yeah, Chucky series isn't really for me. So I, I haven't checked it out. I don't really have any plans to, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. All right. Next up, uh, AJ Stanton, 1991 writes, meeting Vincent D'Onofrio at GRCC in November, uh, would you consider having your own booth at a convention? I've been asked to have my own booth at conventions before. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, the reality is the reason I have never said yes is because, well, for two reasons. Um, I am incredibly socially awkward. I, I understand that seems weird considering I talk on camera in front of thousands of people every day, but I am. I'm very, very, very socially awkward. I, I, I don't feel the need that I have to hide that. I'm a very socially awkward person. I don't have the highest level of, you know, social interactive skills. I just don't. I, that's me. That being said, I also am I'm a very insecure person. I know other people feel the need that they have to hide that about themselves. I don't. I'm, I'm an insecure person. I mean, I'm very confident in certain things, but I think there's a certain part of me that is that that has an insecurity that's tied right into my social awkwardness. And so dead honest, here's the thing. The main reason I have never accepted having my own booth at like a convention is because of this deep rooted fear I have that nobody will stop by my booth. That's hundred percent. The reason I have this huge, I would be mortified. I would be so distraught and emotionally ruined and destroyed if I did something like that and nobody showed up, it would be really, really bad for me. So, and listen, that's why even when I was at AMC and Collider and, and I would always have these staff members who'd want us to do all these big things and I would often say no, but sometimes we would do them and then like a thousand people would show up or something like that. And it would always blow my mind. Um, and that's been great. You know, I didn't want to do, I initially did not want to do that thing with me, Christian and Greg, when we did our live, you know, an evening with Campy Harloff and, and Elba, I didn't want to do those initially because I was kind of afraid nobody would show up, but we sold out the place. I mean, so, I mean, there's that, but yeah, I've always got that big fear of it. So no, I've never said yes to having my own booth and I probably, probably never will, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Next up. We've got Duck Duck who writes, uh, I'm on to episode three tonight. I'll stick around until at least the original movie, but should I watch the spinoff movies or stick to the main series? I don't know what we're talking about, Duck Duck. What's on episode three now? Oh, oh, episode three as in Star Wars episode three. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You wrote in a little bit earlier. Um should I watch the spinoff movies or stick to the main ones? I like the spinoff movies. Um, Rogue One is utterly fantastic. Solo, a Star Wars story is a movie they never should have made. But I think like Rob and I agree, like we both, we think that that Star Wars, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, while it never should have been made, is actually quite an enjoyable space adventure movie. Um, do I think it's top tier Star Wars? No, but I think it's an enjoyable one. And I think those are the only two spinoff Star Wars stories, right? It's, it's Rogue One and it's Solo. And, and I think both of those are enjoyable. So yeah, I, I would say check those out if you have a chance. All right. 
next up, and I think it's the last one. Yes. Final question today. Jedediah Elias writes, uh, Thanksgiving trailer looks hilariously dark. Could be the next great slasher since Ready or Not. I liked Ready or Not. Uh, shocked to see Lewis Slit from Suits in there too. You know, somebody brought up the Thanksgiving Day trailer earlier today on the John Campy Show podcast, and I have not watched it. We've had a busy afternoon around here, but I'm probably going to watch that as soon as we're done this stream. I'm probably going to go and, and check that out right away. Um, again, listen, it's based off of the fake trailer from Grindhouse, uh, much like Machete was. So who knows? I mean, Eli Roth is directing it, which is the guy who directed Hostel and the Hostel film. So you know what kind of torture porn you're probably in for. Um, so I don't know. I'll check out the trailer and I'll see what I think about it. All right, guys. And that will do it for today's installment of Open Mic. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and making this little video part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in topics and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the channel here, thank you guys so very much for that support. Don't forget to come on back and join us again tomorrow for the next installment of the John Campus Show podcast. We'll have open mic tomorrow as well. I look forward to seeing you. Ooh, 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 wait, wait. Mm, uh, mm. Tomorrow is the first episode of Loki and the fourth episode of Gen V. I might want to get out of here early tomorrow. I might not do an open mic tomorrow. But if I don't, it'll definitely be back on Friday. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.